Hey, FOMO Sapiens, I am back with another best of episode, part two with Jay Shetty. This week, we'll be talking about meditation. He has taught lots of people how to meditate, and we just get into it. It was a really good conversation, and I want to tell you kind of a behind-the-scenes story. So when Jay came to New York City, this is back pre-pandemic, so I used to tape kind of everything in person, and we actually met the week that New York City basically shut down. It was like a couple of days before everything shut down. It was kind of reckless, to be honest. I took the subway up to the studio, and I was like, wow, there's nobody here, and people look terrified, and I, I taped at the studio that was actually very, very fancy, and the reason why is usually I taped in this very low-key place that didn't cost a lot of money, but this place cost a ton of money, but I got it for free because I did a little trade. I basically bartered me giving advice to somebody who wanted to start a podcast at that studio who was a member of the U.S. soccer team in exchange for some free studio time. So we had this amazing, you listen to that sound quality, it is top level and Jay's amazing. So enjoy the episode, relax, get a nice cool drink. Again, if you need sunscreen, apply it and enjoy. FOMO. I recently started playing tennis and I had a tennis coach teach me because I've never had the opportunity to have that. And we spent two hours together on our first lesson and I was already hitting great forehands, better than I'd ever hit before. And he was so impressed. And then the next time I went, I went for two hours again and guess it was great. Imagine I went there for two minutes. I said, okay, in two minutes, I need you to hit, teach me how to hit the best forehand. How long is that going to take? I mean, it could take like years. And that's what we do with meditation. We play with it like it's this two to five minute tool. And we're like, oh, I'm just going to do it for two to five minutes a day. And suddenly my brain's just going to be clear. And it's like, tell me anything that you can do for two to five minutes a day that actually has a genuine benefit. I can't think of many things. That's Jay Shetty, author of the number one New York Times bestseller, Think Like a Monk. I'm your host, Patrick McGinnis, and this is FOMO Sapiens. When the world's spinning out of control, it can be impossible to know what to do and what to miss out on. That's called FOMO, which is short for fear of missing out. How do I know? Because I coined the term, and I'm the world's first FOMologist. And this is the show where I ask entrepreneurial thinkers, people I call FOMO sapiens, how they live and work with conviction no matter what life throws at them. FOMO. FOMO. Hey there, FOMO sapiens. We're back with part two of my interview with the one and only Jay Shetty. Last week, as you recall, we talked about Jay's journey from civilian to monk and back again. I just re-listened to the episode, and for me, there were a couple of big topics from that first discussion that I wanted to bring up before we talk about today's show. First, we talked about how to prepare yourself and others for big changes in life. Jay talked about the fact that he spent years preparing his family for that fateful day when he decided to leave his old life behind to live as a monk in India. And while, you know, it was not exactly what they wanted for him or would have chosen for him, they were ready to accept his decision. And of course, today, I'm sure they're very supportive of the road that he has taken. Jay also shared how he creates content that is so resonant with audiences. And remember, this is the guy who had the top video on Facebook in 2018. This was a video that generated hundreds of millions of views, number one on all of Facebook. And he revealed to us the key storytelling elements that he believes have the potential to go viral. And then he told us how to make sure that whatever you create, you make sure that it leverages your strengths and that you actually like making it. Because you don't want to end up in a place where you're making content that's super popular, but you hate it. Finally, we talked about how to think like a monk to manage your FOMO and your FOBO on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, we're going to turn the page and focus on one of the central themes of Jay's work, 
meditation, or as he talks about it, breath work. Today, we're going to also talk about how to deal with negativity, and I'll ask Jay for some of the personal productivity tips that he has been working on these days and whether he thinks he could apply his bag of tricks to teach the world's leaders how to get along with each other. Wouldn't that be nice? Jay has a lot to say, and he's such a gifted communicator, so I know you're going to get a lot out of this episode. Then, stick around for the phone moment of the show where I'm going to share my own experience on what it takes to start and stick with a meditation practice. I just celebrated one whole year of meditating every day and I didn't miss a day. That's something I never thought I could do and I owe my commitment to a specific strategy that I'm going to share with you. And now onto the interview. To get started, I wanted to get into the topic of meditation. So I asked Jay a simple question. Why is it such a central focus of his life and his work? Now, the breath work and the reason why it's so powerful, I remember... I tell one of my favorite stories that I want to share with you in the book, which you probably read, but for everyone who's listening and watching, I talk about one of my first days at monk school and I see a 10-year-old monk roughly teaching five-year-old monks. And I go up to him and I say, well, what are you teaching them? And he's like, it's their first day of school and I taught them how to breathe. And and I was like, taught them how to breathe? And he's like, well, what did you learn at school? I was like, I learned the ABC or how to count from one to 10. He's like, okay. And I was like, well, why do you teach them how to breathe? And he said, well, Think about it. He said, the only thing that stays with you from the moment you're born to the moment you die is your breath. And he goes, what changes when you're happy? Your breath. What changes when you're sad? Your breath. What changes when you're celebrating? Your breath. What changes when you run for a bus or are late for a train? Your breath. What changes when you're nervous? Your breath. Basically, every emotion in our lives is connected to breath. Our breath changes with emotion. Hence, our emotions change with our breath. And when you just recognize that for a moment, you're just like, wow, yeah, like when I cry incessantly out of pain, you're like, you're like gasping for breath, right? We've all seen a child who's, who's crying or even us. And so for me, breath is just directly connected to emotion. When you realize that, you start to reflect and become aware that I can control my emotions through my breath. So this is one of those things that we all recognize most of us anyway, that there's real value to it, that there's a reason to do this, that it can help you in so many different ways in your life. Yet it's really hard to do. It's hard to build a practice. I tried for years and only in the last couple of years have I actually been able to make any progress. So for those of us who are listening who say, okay, I get it. I want to do this. How do you start? How do you actually commit to doing this and making it a part of your life? I'm... I'm very particular that anyone who has the resources, facility, and opportunity to take a weekend retreat or to take a week-long retreat or to take a day retreat on a weekend, which I think most people have the facility for, go and do that. Because when you deeply immerse in an activity for the day, a weekend, or a week, that's when you deeply realize the benefits and that's when you really pick up the skill. So a good example is I recently started playing tennis and I had a tennis coach teach me because I've never had the opportunity to have that. And we spent two hours together on our first lesson and I was already hitting great forehands, better than I'd ever hit before. And he was so impressed. And then the next time I went, I went for two hours again and guess it was great. Imagine I went there for two minutes. I said, okay, in two minutes, I need you to teach me how to hit the best forehand. How long is that going to take? I mean, it could take like years. And that's what we do with meditation. We play with it like it's this two to five minute tool. And we're like, I'm just going to do it for two to five minutes a day. And suddenly my brain's just going to be clear. And it's like, tell me anything that you can do for two to five minutes a day that actually has 
a genuine benefit. I can't think of many things or anything real that would make a difference. So if you can, go and do that. The other thing I'd mention is do it when you're not stressed. So start the practice when you're actually in a good place. So if you're going for a week and you're like, I'm not stressed this week, I'm not going to do mindfulness. Uh Uh-uh. That's when you do the mindfulness because that's when you build the muscle and build the habit for when things get tough. You don't go, I'm going to learn how to carry 80 kilograms of weight the day I need to carry, the day I need to move house. That day I'm going to do it. But for now, I'm not going to carry anything. No, you, you lift gradually, 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 and then you can lift that much. So it's the same way. Right. So you do this meditation. It becomes part of your life, becomes a daily part of your life. But it's interesting. I was talking to a friend of mine who used to meditate every day and he stopped. And the reason why he told me was because he felt like he relied on it. He has a big job in finance and he was like, listen, if I don't meditate in the morning or before a big meeting, I I don't have confidence anymore and I can't do what I need to do. So what do you, what would be your response to that? I would say, yeah, it's the same as eating. (laughs) It's like, it's like saying like, it's the same as like, if you just stopped eating tomorrow, are we all dependent on food? Yes. So why should we not be dependent on meditation? It's, it's the same thing. If you didn't eat for three days and you had to perform at your best, how long would you last? And so that's one perspective. One perspective is meditation is for your mind what food is for your body. So we wouldn't go seven days without eating. So why would you go seven days without meditating? It's doing the same thing, right? So that's one perspective. The other perspective I'd say is build up the practices that you can do them when you're on the go. So for me, it's like I'm meditating in the back of an Uber. I'm meditating on an airplane. I'm meditating at a desk. I'm I'm meditating everywhere. Build up the toolkit so that you can actually do do a bit, a few breathing exercises before something like this or whatever it is, before a meeting, before you go on stage, so that now you're actually using it in your life. So now it's not just a standalone process, but it's something you can do anywhere and everywhere. So grab that toolkit and expand it. And so that's what I'm doing before I'm going on a talk, before a podcast, when I'm uh, traveling and it's been a busy day, when I've just had an argument with someone on my team. Like those are all moments where you can practice these things. So, so expand your toolkit now that you've built up a practice. Now, Jay, they say there are no stupid questions. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test that right now because when I was reading the book, you're describing how to meditate, you're giving people steps and, you know, I'm always out for learning more. And one of the things you talk about that I never thought about before is keeping your eyes down when you meditate. So tell me more about that because it never, I never really thought about it. Why do we want to look down when we're meditating? Because sensory triggers, like the eyes are the most like window into everything something flies by, a wasp comes into the room, the light goes down, like you're just so perceptive to that, that that naturally distracts you away from whatever you're trying to do. So lowering your gaze, being having your eyes closed just switches off another sense. It's why we do a lot of mantra and sound, because when you do sound, you're also switching off another sense, uh, sense because you're using that sense. It's why monks chant on beads, because again, you're taking away another sense. Because if you're constantly in your senses, then you can't go into your mind. And so most of us are so sensory stimulated all day that you can't actually go inward. And so that's why the the beads aren't actually making you more aware of your touch. It's giving your touch a distraction almost so that you can go inward. So that's why incense exists. It's the same thing. It's another thing. Like All of these things were created to not distract you, but to actually put you into your mind. That's why they exist. It's not just like, oh, we light incense because it smells good. It's like your, your senses are now all correctly directed and stimulated so you can go inward. 
Earlier on, we were talking about how it can be natural to feel slighted when you're doing things for people, you help people, maybe they don't say thank you. And I know I feel that way. It's one of those things that I struggle with is that if I feel overlooked or unthanked, I remember that. And then I read something in the book that I thought was really interesting on that point. It's about the circle of love. So there's this concept you put in the book, and it was from your own experience. When you were meditating, and you were a monk, you were throwing all this love out into the world, and you, you didn't necessarily get that back. And so you went to your teacher and said, I'm putting all this energy out there, but I'm not necessarily getting it back, right? It's sort of a one-way street. And he reminded you that there are tons of people out there who would do the same for you, people who are doing the same for you. Maybe it's a spouse or a parent or somebody important in your life who, if they had their way, would be with you all the time. They love you that much. And so I thought it was an interesting question to think about and the way that you sort of posit the circle of love. It, it The name sounds, it's, it's a little bit new agey, but the concept is pretty powerful. So why don't you explain it? Yeah, no, thank you for bringing that up. It, it's one of my favorite moments from my time as a monk too, because it was an aha moment for me too, because it's, we forget when people do good for us, but we don't forget when people forget to thank us, right? It's like a, a really weird dichotomy. So I think about for a moment, how many people have I forgot to thank in my life? There's probably a really long list, a really long list. Whether it was something as small as someone who opened a door or a driver of an Uber or a receptionist, or whether it's something as big as someone who probably changed my career or made an introduction, I forgot they made that introduction. Like whichever level it is, we've all forgot to say thank you. And when you reflect on that for a moment, you're just like, why am I upset? Like, or until I thank all those people, I can't be upset. So maybe I've got to go and rewind my life and go back and thank every single person. That's one way. The other thing is that you start to recognize the point that I make that so many people are trying to connect with you while you're trying to connect with so many people. And I see that in my life right now. There may be a podcast or a conversation I really want to have. And there's someone who wants to really be on my podcast. And I'm wondering why someone's not responding to my pitch and proposal, but then I'm not thinking about the fact that I haven't responded to someone else's pitch and proposal. And I'm not re realizing that there are other podcasts that really want to have me on and I'm not thanking them or I'm not bringing my best energy. How messed up is that, right? It's, it's super messed up. And so the only way to win is I'm going to show up and be really grateful and present in every place that I'm invited and people are nice to me. I'm going to recognize the people in my life that are always available and I completely disregard them. And I'm going to recognize that I've forgotten to thank a lot of people in my life. And so if someone's forgotten to thank me, I'm just one of those people in their diary. And they're probably being grateful to a ton of other people. And that just solves the whole collective circle karma of like, I feel hard done by. Because you get a moment to be like, well, maybe someone feels hard done by by me. FOMO. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. 
You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to NetSuite.com slash FOMO. That's NetSuite.com slash FOMO. NetSuite.com slash FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO sapiens. Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. FOMO. And, and you say in the book, and I, I thought this was really interesting too, there's a, there's a neuroscientist at UCLA called Alex Korb, and he studied, you know, human brain. And when you're being grateful, when you're experiencing gratitude, you can't at the same time feel anger. Yeah. Like it's you, it's one or the other. And so you sort of like... Which I love. Which That's I, and I was, I, I, that kind of blew my mind, right? But it's, it, when you think about it, it's super, it's super sort of obvious, I guess. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. But it's it's easier said than done. So for somebody who's listening right now, say who's maybe they got passed over for that promotion or something terrible happened to their, you know, in their personal life, like, you know, it's um, it's it, it is hard to to switch. What would be your advice in terms of of moving into the gratitude mindset so that you're not stuck in the pain? Yeah, when yeah, the the, the wisdom is uh, when you're present in gratitude, you can't be anywhere else. And the way to understand that. Uh, one of the things I talk about in the book is the perspective scale. And so I, I talk about whether it's one to 10 or one to 100, whatever we want to do, create a scale. And at 10 or 100, put the worst thing that could possibly happen right now. And let's say the worst thing would be, I lose my whole family, right? Like that could be the worst thing. The, the thing that you think would be the worst thing on the planet for you to experience. Now take the situation you're currently dealing with and put it on that scale of one to 10. Where do you put it right now? So I lost my job. Where is that in comparison to the worst thing that could happen? Maybe it's a five. Maybe it's a seven. Maybe it's a six. It now you start to see things, and that's why we call the perspective scale. You now start to see things in perspective, and that is a part of gratitude. Gratitude isn't just like roses and flowers and like being, oh, I'm so happy and grateful. Being grateful is just having perspective that, wait a minute, this thing that I'm saying is like, feels like a 10 right now, but it's not a 10. So let me treat it as what it actually is. Now, if it is a 10, fair play. But for most of the things, it's like, oh, I just stubbed my toe or I missed my train or I missed my plane. Maybe that's like a two on the list now. And now you're feeling grateful because you're like, oh, actually, I'm just totally overreacting. The, the second way to move into gratitude is for gratitude to be specific. And this is something we mess up on with gratitude. When we think of gratitude, we're like, I'm grateful for the air. Or I'm grateful for being alive. And it's like, 
that's not, it's not really pulling on you. If it is, great, but it's probably not. And so gratitude needs to be specific. I'll give an example. If you threw a party at your home this weekend and you invited all your friends, on Monday morning, you get two text messages. One of them says, hey, Patrick, had a great time. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye. Right? Like, just, that's a message. Thank you message. Gratitude. And the second message goes, Patrick, you're amazing. The food you made this weekend was incredible. The conversation we had was so beautiful. I just really appreciate being around you. Thank you for thinking of me. Thank you for inviting me. You mean a lot to me. Now, they were both gratitude. But which one had a deeper impact on you? I'm guessing the second one. Because it was specific. It was deep. It gave you insight into who you are. When you express gratitude... Be specific about it because if you're more specific, it's also more meaningful to you because you're just like, I'll tell you why. When you're grat grateful in a specific way, you start realizing how blessed you are. So that person who sent you that second message, I'm loved by Patrick. I'm loved by so many people. How awesome is my life? Your confidence and your self-esteem goes through the roof. When you're not specific, you just go, oh, thanks so much. You didn't feel anything from that. You, you kind of made that person feel acknowledged, but that's it. And that's all you feel. So actually being grateful actually boosts your self-esteem and your confidence. Now, Jay, we've been talking for a little while, so I want to throw a kind of a big challenge your way. I think we're, we're, we're ready to go there. Imagine I pick a leader, a world leader, a business leader, somebody out there who is problematic. We're not going to say who because... There's lots of problematic people out there these days. But I give them to you and I tell you, you have three months to teach them the things that you know. Could you change them? Could you fix them, I guess? And, and how would you start? That is a great question. The first thing I would do is I would make them aware or they would have to be enrolled onto the program knowing that there was no coaching, teaching or education happening. It would have to be as seen as a social experiment. So I would not want any of them to know that they're about to learn anything or that there's a teacher or a guide or a person who has knowledge that is going to share anything. They can't come into it with that expectation. These are extremely powerful people, knowledgeable people, people who probably know a lot more than I do about whatever they do. And I would never want at one point to them to feel that I felt I could teach them. So that would be one thing. And, and I feel that way with everyone. I don't just feel that way with them. I feel that way with the way this book wrote. I feel that way when I run an event. I'm a facilitator. I'm not a teacher or a guru or a guide. I'm, I'm a facilitator of thought. And, and I want to help people come to the right conclusion on themselves. So to me, those three months would be a host of experiments, a host of tests, and a host of uh, interactive exercises where they're all having to do things that make them all feel uncomfortable and awkward in the hope that that discomfort, that awkwardness, and that projection and reflection would help them get to a point of recognizing their own flaws and mistakes and the greatness of the people in the room. And a good example of this that, that, that I can share probably is of, of how I'd like to teach them is one of the studies that I love is we talk about how uh, if people are asked to be alone with their thoughts for 15 minutes or give themselves an electric shock, 30% of women chose an electric shock and 60% of men chose an electric shock. <laughs> so when you think about that, I'm like, let's put all of these people in a scenario like that and let's see what they choose and why they choose it. And let's get them to explain to each other why they did that. When you start breaking down the walls and you break down the barriers and you get people to be vulnerable with each other, if I could get all of those people in the room to be vulnerable with each other through a series of putting them in experiments like that, I think they'd find the right answer. So anybody from the UN, international organizations of note, 
major corporations. Challenge has been issued. Jay just threw down the gauntlet. I fully support it. I'd love to be in the room. I'd even participate if if so allowed. So let's make this happen in 2020. I mean, maybe that could be the key to turning this year around. Now, Jay, I wanna I wanna get into some some productivity stuff. So tell me, what is one thing that you have started doing and one thing you have stopped doing recently that have made a difference in your life? Okay, so I'm, I've become a huge... So start doing. Let's start with start first. I started drinking celery juice every day since January. I, I tried it last year, which was great. And then this year, I got really committed to it. Amazing. Why? It's, okay, it's I have a juice at home, so I break down. It's unbelievable. So... It's highly cleansing. Um, it's a great uh, antioxidant. It's got all these incredible benefits. I, from a feeling point of view, I just feel cleansed and more energized in the morning from drinking it. Uh, I'm not a coffee person. I only ever drink herbal teas, so chamomile tea and stuff like that. But this in the morning has really powered up my mornings. It's, it makes me feel great. So that's a start doing. Another thing I started doing recently was playing tennis. Uh, I wanted to, I feel like I'm fitter and healthier when I'm playing a sport because my competitive mindset gets involved and I can measure what that looks like, whereas I get bored on a treadmill. So I needed that. And I found out from an interview with a guest on my podcast called Dr. Daniel Amen. He told me that ping pong and tennis are the best uh, long-term sports for the brain because A, they're brain, sports you can keep on playing, but also they're, the hand-eye coordination and everything keeps your brain learning and moving. So it's actually great for an aging brain. So that made me feel good. That's another thing I started doing recently. And then you said stop doing recently. You asked for me to yeah. stop, right? So I stopped sugar. So I started doing sugar. Uh, I started like really restricting sugar this year. And I've, I've probably had it once a week since the beginning of the year. And I saw that as a reward until Dr. Daniel Amen again told me that it's a punishment, not a reward. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he goes to me, I told him, I was really proud. I was like, I've been doing really well. And he goes, he says to me, he's, he's a friend too. And he says to me, he says, uh, he goes, well, if you're ex-girlfriend was really bad to you and you kept going back to her, would that be a punishment or a reward? <laughs> and, I, and I go, it would be a punishment. He goes, yeah, that's what sugar is. So, wow. So he goes, Talk about ruining the only thing I love. I know. I love, so I have a huge sweet tooth too, like massive. Like I'm, I'm plant-based, but I love plant-based chocolate, vegan sure. chocolate. Like I, was, uh, I could eat chocolate fudge cakes all day. Um, so anyway, so that's one thing I've stopped recently. I, I stopped it when I was a monk, but this is, I've stopped it again. So Jay, I would, I would classify you as a FOMO sapiens. You're an entrepreneurial thinker. You make decisions and you stick with them and you build things. And so I want to know, what's your advice to other people who want to do that? To, to be decisive, to make decisions, to build things, get things done. You, you have to get obsessed and fall in love with the process, not the result. So if you don't like the process of what it takes to get what you want, then that's not it. You have to be loved. So, for example, when I was a monk, I had to fall in love with waking up at 4 a.m. every day. I had to love, fall in love with meditating for eight hours a day. If you want to be an athlete, guess what? You have to fall in love with waking up at 4 a.m. every day. You have to fall in love with being at the gym for multiple hours a day or training multiple hours. If you want to be an actor, you don't have to fall in love with going to the Oscars. You have to fall in love with saying the same line 60 times until the director goes, cut, that was great. Like, you've got to fall in love with that. And I think that if you're focusing on falling in love with the process and you get obsessed with it and you get addicted to it, then you'll get there. But I think all of us are focused and obsessed and addicted to the result of being at the Grammys, being at the Oscars, 
wearing the fancy dress on the red carpet. Like, but it's not about any of those things. It's 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 not about even about having a vision of those things. It's completely about do I like doing the same thing every single day? That's that's what it's about. All right, the book is Think Like a Monk. Podcast is on purpose, and the Instagram is at Jay Shetty. Jay, it was great talking to you. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you, man. Thanks, Patrick. I really appreciate it. This is great. I had a lot of fun. FOMO. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on the web at FOMOSapiens.com or PatrickMcGinnis.com, where you can get all kinds of free resources to live a more decisive and entrepreneurial life. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstrom. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO. FOMO.